Welcome to Britwatch Sportspeak. That's easy for me to say. You're listening, of course, to Roz Satar, and I'm joined by... Hello, I'm Neil Leverett. And we thought we'd uh, we'd start off with our inaugural sports speak with a little bit of what's coming up in December. Uh, and there's nothing better to kick off with than uh, boxing and the big, one. the big match. Take it away. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I, I still can't call this this week. What do you What do you think? Before I, before I, before we do delve in, I mean, yeah. obviously, we're talking about uh, Joshua versus Ruiz Junior. Two. 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 Uh, part de. Um, so unless you've been hiding under a rock, uh, you, you know, you would have failed to miss the, the cataclysmic aftershock of Joshua being beaten by this tiny, chunky American Mexican. Um, and now this is the rematch. It's in Saudi Arabia, which brings with it its own issues. Mm-hmm. But the real question is, um, has Joshua got what it takes to reclaim his belts? There's absolutely no question that he has, he's got the arsenal. We've all seen what he can do. Um, I like, uh, as we've seen with the weigh-in a couple of hours ago, um, He's it's his lightest he's ever been for a title fight. He looks he looks more Joshua. Like, as in New York, uh, at what was meant to be the start of his, this big American odyssey, American adventure, he looks more like the bodybuilder type and now he's lost. He lost the weight around his stomach. I think, as you mentioned, mm. he's to me shoulders he's as around well. his shoulders, seventeen stone. So he's giving, uh, he's giving away three, three stone to Andy Ruiz Junior. He's weighed in at over twenty stone, and uh, which is weird because he does look lighter for some yeah, Ruiz. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's strange. I think it's hard to tell, but I, yeah. But regardless, it is is so seventeen stone and a bit against twenty stone and a bit. And What's I don't know. I don't. I don't know how that's going to affect things. I I'm preferred. Say, I prefer just to be lighter. Though. Okay, because I was going to say what. What are the advantages? Because I would imagine the advantages are if you're not carrying that additional three stone, you are going to be a little bit quicker because because um, it is about the weight that you're carrying. You, you, but it's heavyweight boxing at the end of the day. Yeah, the heavier true. you are, as Ruiz Junior showed at Madison Square Garden, punch. the more power yeah. that you have. How do I mean? Let's look a little bit at the impact of this. Um, They've obviously been like there's several extremes. I think it's fair to say if you look on Twitter, there's people that are like kind of you know it's a match and Joshua you know has now tasted defeat and now knows what it feels like and maybe that resets his expectations. And on the other extreme, you've got people that are like kind of that's it, retire, go and sell cereal boxes or whatever it is that retired boxers do. Um, so you know what is the impact for you if Joshua doesn't win today uh, tomorrow? Um, it's hard to say. I, I th- I'm going to use a, a, a televisual metaphor here. Um, if, if he lost again, I'm, I'm not sure it's like, uh, let's talk, okay, trying to compare him with Arsene Wenger. The last, we're going off on a tangent here, probably. Always the Arsenal always boy. The, always, the Arsenal. always the Arsenal boy. So the final few, you know, final years, uh, final few months, years, however you want to see it, however long you wanted him out of the club. It does feel like his legacy was slightly tarnished. I'm not going to say if he loses these two fights. If he loses two fights in a row, I mean, what does that say about him? Like, he's a he's a champion. Like, he's a fantastic. He's yeah. a fantastic fighter. I mean, does that tarnish your legacy? No. Two, but if you lose two fights in a row, it's to the tough, same guy, to the same guy, yeah, it would be that would be tough for him to come back from. And the thing with Ruiz, as as he was the underdog now, yeah, 
but now he's the champion. So I'm. I'm does that change things around? It, I think it does. Um, when he walks out uh, into the arena in Riyadh tomorrow night, uh, he's going to be. He must feel pressure. He must. Well, we'll, we'll despite we'll, whatever he says. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, at least their way in wasn't as pantomime esque as some that we've seen, but, but we will see. Um, it's not the only thing that's going on this weekend. There's a little bit of football going on. Yeah. Um, the big match, of course, has to be United versus City. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. How do we? I mean. It's in, it's interesting. Like I I got pulled up on radio last weekend because we were talking about Leicester. I was like, Leicester aren't going to win. Don't be silly. Um, but also, I'm never convinced that Liverpool can keep hold of a lead. Um, they might be the Christmas number one, uh, as we joked about this time last year. And then mm-hmm. they wibbled and they wobbled like weebles and then fell down at the end. What are we both in agreement that City are going to be Man United? No. Therein lies the problem. I think. Hit me. What do you? How do you think this is going to go down? Uh again, this is this is norm. Uh, you know, normally City at home, you'd think it's definitely. But City are really they're they're not the same City as defensively. They're extremely weak without Laporte. I mean, the the for for Pep, the transfer window cannot come soon enough because they need to seriously reinforce in defence. And goodness knows how much money they're going to spend because Laporte is still. What they're saying, March, at least April. And when he comes back, he still won't be the same. So they, they do have to go and get a new centre-back. Right. Or at least. Um, United are fresh from beating, fresh from beating Spurs. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. You know. Well, I suppose Spurs are in a bit of a transition period of their own. Um, and Ollie seems to be either in or out, depending on, <laughs> on whenever you glance at Twitter. It's funny though because I watched watching United. That was the first time I watched him. I think, yeah, they actually played pretty well against a team. You know, it depends how you. I still I see Spurs as a mid-table side because I'm an Arsenal. I'm an Arsenal fan. And I don't, th- I don't think that's unfair. Are. Yeah, I don't think that's unfair because I don't think they're going to be able to get over the Poch effect straight away. Um, you know. I I think I think it's going to take them a while to to settle themselves down. Well, it, d- it depends how long this Mourinho honeymoon period's going to last, and yeah. is it over already? Having no, lost? I don't think it is. But I think I think I think what we'll see is a repeat of this this three year cycle that he goes for, where you've got that you know a, a good couple of years, and then he'll suddenly revert to chucking people under the bus and bury them underneath the the the, the tarmac. But the the thing with this era of Mourinho, it seems like. There's nothing's changed like since he's gone to Spurs, and it might take a little while. Yeah, but they've conceded three goals, so two three twos, and a four two, and they again they've conceded two goals. Yeah. So every game he's been in charge of Spurs, they've conceded at least two goals. Yeah, I think. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I think. I, I think you're right. I think for this season they may as well just sack it off and say, right, we're going to be a mid-table side. That's um, difficult to do. As as a side, he got to the Champions League final. I know, I know, and it and it's crazy. It's and not going to be crazy. in the Champions League, hopefully again. I know it's it's <laughs> it's crazy. It, it's it's a crazy situation, um, but in the in terms of the run into the Christmas number one, as we said, like this time last year, I remember yeah. being on the radio and Liverpool had just edged ahead. We were joking so, about it. So on the 29th of December last year, they had a ten point lead and they lost. They've got an eleven point lead right now. However, they have a Club World Cup to negotiate. 
Um, they could play nine games in December. For me, their defence is still overrated. Right. It took two Virgil van Dijk goals to win last weekend. Yeah. Okay, it's a really plucky Brighton side, which by mm. the way, deservedly beat Arsenal last night. You know, <laughs> I hate to say. Um, he really but does. Let's not, let's, pain on his face. Let's not talk about Arsenal yeah. right now. Um, and uh, I've been saying for a while, their away form's really poor. Like, they are very lucky at Burnley. But it isn't isn't the thing that you you need you need a little bit of luck. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I I really hope I'm proved wrong because I think historically it will be it will be nice. But they never strike me as a side that can hold on to a lead. I, it I, just gets mm. eroded and eroded and eroded, and then it all comes down to some big pell mell at the end. See, the difference for me was when was last year winning the Champions League at the third time, for Klopp. Yeah. And that was a big barrier for me. And he's actually won something. Yeah. He can win and big And you think now. that maybe that just took... I do the... think that's just a massive psychological yeah, barrier. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So, you know, for, for, for no other reason, I want to see it more competitive. Yeah. Um, I hopefully Liverpool do drop... They, they do come off the rails. I think um, when they come back from the Club World Cup, um, it does look like they're taking a pretty strong side out there yeah um, and know they're playing it's going to be the kids in the Carabao Cup next week when yeah. they play um, I mean not just just real the, not even the uh, the you know the, the and the exterior players just like I think there might be some players we've never actually heard yeah. of in that team so it's going to be interesting when okay. they come back um, yeah we'll see and did you ever in a million years think that who would be pushing them to the Christmas number one for want of a better phrase would be Leicester I didn't be honest <laughs> I thought they had a really good shout of very very definitely top six and then I changed it to top four but they're looking like the biggest challengers to Liverpool yeah. right now okay well, we, well we'll come back to this in January I mean, yeah. and see how, could how they, we go could they maintain this as if it's hard to see. I mean, the, the the other side of your writing, of course, is is Formula One. That has come to an end. Lewis Hamilton has now won a sixth drivers' championship. There are murmurings of uh, Ferrari in the background. Um, you know, what else is there for Lewis to achieve? Well, Ferrari, you've just said it. That's that's the thing. I mean, I think when when. But why when would he? Why would he want to leave Mercedes? It's the ultimate for any driver to want to drive for Scuderia. Really? For Ferrari. So you think he will go in 2021? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's no smoke without fire. Let's put it that way. I know. I mean, it was it was somewhat tenuous when it was like, oh, yeah, you know, the boss met him uh, in the pit. Yeah, it's yeah. Like kind of, yeah. They probably just walked into each other in the pit. But, I mean, do you think... It's extremely tenuous. But he's... I mean, so if, if he won next year, he'd equal Michael Schumacher, seven. Is that the time that you go to yeah. the place where Schumacher dominated after having a, you know after starting his career strongly at Benetton? Yeah. And that's it's like it seems like the yeah. perfect career arc for him. Would you not agree? Yeah, I, I, I would. I mean, it would be interesting because Toto Wolff is one of those um, sort of men that I I can never really read him because he's so kind of laissez-faire about his, his drivers it's very very cool isn't yeah, it yeah and he's like yeah. Eh, if he wants to go he can go if he wants to stay he can stay and you just think hmm I, I just wonder I mean ultimately I'd like to see Lewis beat that record and have it in his own right 
Web... You, you do actually want to I see do. him take I, it away. I do. I do. I'm, I'm not one of these people that... Uh, he. I know he's a polarising character, but he's not... And we'll come on to that later when we talk about the uh, sports personality of the year. I know he's a polarising character, but I, I think that, you know, any sports person, I think maybe that comes from having done sport as well, any sports person wants... You have to have that l- level of arrogance. I think because he has, like, or, you know, does all this stuff that... People are like, kind of, well, it's all right for you. You've got, like, bling coming out of every orifice. But for me, he doesn't polarise me as much as he does other people. I don't understand why. And surely we should be celebrating uh, a consistent British success. Yeah, I think just to kind of touch, as as I touched on the radio myself, like, I think it's because he, he lives in, doesn't live in Britain, I think. Yeah, and that, yeah. I think that's a big problem. I think so. I, I, I don't know how you fix that, but we shall see. Um, on my side of the beat, uh, I got back from the Davis Cup finals in Madrid. Uh, I went, I'll be honest, actually, I went out curious to see what it was like because obviously uh, the Davis Cup went through a massive overhaul, very unpopular with, with fans. Um, I can see why, because effectively Spain had five home ties in the space of a week. And it made a massive difference. I mean, I'm not going to lie, the, the, I've, I've, I've sat in that, in that court, but because it's normally open in May, the sound dissipates. But in yeah. there, it was like a cauldron for the, for the, for the GB Spanish semi-final. And the, for the finals, it was just electric. And that's what the British fans do the best when they, yeah. where, where were they travel? And it was interesting because the only country that went out there that really did not care was France. And when I arrived in Madrid, it was France versus Japan. And I had a little gallop into the thing. And it was as flat as a pancake. Like the Japanese fans... When when it was time to make noise, made noise very enthusiastically. Yeah. And were very quiet. But we the saw French it in the fans, World Cup. But the French fans were just like, we don't care, and there was no atmosphere at all in any of their matches, uh, because they a lot of the French fans and the the French Federation themselves feel that this is not Davis Cup. Is it Davis Cup as we knew it? No, it most definitely isn't. Did it need to change? Yes, it most definitely did. To to carry on attracting the top players, they had to drop it down to three sets. But these changes were just too overreaching. There's a lot that needs to be improved. It, you know, if we have the same issues that we had, and it, it sounds like first world problems. For example, if you're billeting um, journalists in the north of the city, that's fine. Either give us preloaded metro cards <laughs> or have buses that actually pick people up and better still take them back. Where you have to walk out to get the buses, some people got mugged. Um, oh yeah, like journalists got mugged and had their car tires slashed it's it's you know on the last day that was absolutely brassic i was with an old italian colleague and the guy wouldn't let us on the bus and this is like midnight now and it's, so, it's there's a lot that needs to be fixed so it's fair to say uh the preparation the prep, the, the steps you know in, the preparation wasn't made enough yeah just to, what, what happened was they didn't you know you've got you've got people from the itf that are used to running slams Quite honestly, you've got people from Madrid and their only saving grace from a media perspective is the people that were manning the media centre also are responsible for running the Madrid tournament. So they know how to keep journalists happy. Yeah. Um, and that was their saving grace is you actually had some people that knew how a media centre needed to work. But what happened for a lot of it was Cosmos were like, we're, it's all right, we know what we're doing. And they, I think they ran it as they think a football tournament would okay. be run. And it just doesn't work like that with tennis. Um, but yeah, it's success. Yeah. Well, do you know what really? I'll tell you what really surprised me 
was going into the Davis Cup, everybody was kind of, meh, Davis Cup, oh, you know, can't wait for the new season. But during the course of the Davis Cup, um, the approval for the Davis Cup rose in terms of, you know, okay, the atmosphere is good and, you know, the, everybody's looked after well. And the forthcoming ATP Cup, which is almost exactly the same kind of format as the Davis Cup and with even more confusing rules, suddenly came right down. Oh, wow. So, for example, GB are in as uh, under Andy Murray's protected ranking. Um, however, that means it's Andy Murray and Dan Evans playing. So Kyle Edmund, who had a great upturn, yeah. uh, has stabilised now that he's got a coach in uh, Franco Davin for next year, um, can't play. So he will have to go and play in Doha because there's nowhere else for him to play. Okay. Not only that, they take the top two singles. So you've got Joe Salisbury, who is not partnered with Jamie Murray. He's partnered with Rajiv Ram. And he can't play with Rajiv Ram in the run-up to um, the Australian Open. Jamie Murray can't play with his partner, Neil Skupski, um, because... He's got to play with Joe. They've never played before. So there's a, all of a sudden you saw this switch and Davis Cup suddenly rose because people are like, well, they actually, you know, this is elements of this are, are understandable. And um, ATP Cup counts for one extra week. So if you, are, if you haven't been picked for Davis Cup for your country, as Riley Opelka hasn't been for the USA, that's one week he won't get of counting rankings for his year, right. which makes... A big difference when yeah. you're trying to get your uh, rankings for slams and stuff. So all of a sudden, there was a lot of kind of actually this is rubbish, and you know we actually quite like the Davis Cup. So and at the end of the day, these two tournaments and the Labour Cup, which I'm sorry, it's a glorified EXO, but it does the desired thing of getting a lot of access to players that people wouldn't normally get. However, it is an exhibition. The Labour Cup could have been played in that week of of, of Madrid. It really yeah, could. Yeah. And it would have been perfect. In fact, Roger Federer and uh, Alexander Zverev were off in South America and then totally off to China <laughs> playing exhibitions that were yeah. loved. But, I mean, you should have... There was one where they actually filled out a whole football stadium just yeah, to watch them that. play. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. You know, so in an ideal world, I think, you will have the ATP Cup for as long as it lasts. Davis Cup has got to go after this Olympic cycle they have got to try and move into that September slot that is occupied by Labour Cup and Godsick and Federer have to give up that spot and put Labour Cup after the World Finals because Labour Cup does go and reach areas and, and is, it makes, makes it so accessible for fans the players love it the fans love it there is a place for it but it's not in, not in the tennis yeah. season yeah. and th those those matches should not count. So, uh, j just putting the question forward, because it's Olympic year next mm. year, does that further kind of muddy the waters of the, ca the no. tennis calendar? Well, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, from an ITF perspective, because really that's their only leverage they've got for players for Davis Cup, is that you have to play, you have to make yourself available for your country in order to, to qualify for um, Olympic placement, and then it all comes down to your ranking. Um so it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next Olympic cycle because obviously okay. you know, it, it's anything that you've done in the past will count towards this cycle. So it'll be interesting to see how they get around that because um, that's the only leverage that they've got. Yeah. So, so kind of just to summarise, do you think so? Did you like the slim-lined version of the Davis Cup? Uh, I think like, I quite like on paper. I don't know, like, because it's kind of old school, the three set. Thing, like... I I think it takes a while. I think it does lose that home and away. It it's not mm. so bad if it's neutral, 
you know, if it's countries that don't aren't based in Spain. Right. It it had great atmosphere. Kazakhstan GB had a fantastic atmosphere. Netherlands and GB had a fantastic atmosphere, but there were equal equalish numbers of. But against Spain, the GB fans had no chance. And I, and I mean, I'm saying that despite seeing some of the best games of tennis. Yeah, yeah, over yeah. five sets. But yeah, I think I think if they wanted to keep the top players, they had to bring it down to three sets, and right. they had to change it. But I think you could do you could achieve the same by having the uh, number ones playing number ones, having them doubles in the middle, and having the second yeah, number twos play. Yeah, to keep that kind of element. I think they just made too many changes too quickly. But the the fundamental issue is you cannot have two team competitions within six weeks of each other. It's ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but we'll we'll we'll, re- we'll revise this we'll next year. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But um, obviously, the biggest thing that's going to happen in December is uh, the sports personality of the year. Spotty. Spotty. So we've had uh, we've had a bit of a debate. So we've got um, Ben Stokes probably far and away out in, in front. For strong, his, strong, strong yeah, favourite for his his World Cup and that that in ashes. Remarkable. Um, it was. Um, and I could I could see him winning, but I could also see the the most perfect girl next door, um, Dina Asher Smith, winning as well. Yeah. Um, and it, what it comes down to is which is the most accessible sport, because everybody will will know about football. The Sky was, with the exception of that final, um, was on. Sorry, the cricket. Sky had the cricket with the exception of the World Cup final. Then they released it for terrestrial television yeah. for that one day. That, that's the, ext- in that sense, he's extremely accessible. Stones, yeah, as a winner. Um, let's just turn that off. I don't know how that started, but anyway. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It's um. For for those people that watched the World Cup on that day, because that was the same day as the Grand Prix and as the men's final. That was yeah. That was a ridiculous. That's one day of the of most extraordinary kind of days of British sport. We were in. I I mean, let me explain what it was like at, at Wimbledon. Well, I I sit in a little tiny writing room on the third floor, and um, international international writers were just wondering what on earth was happening to all their British colleagues because we were all like squeaking at the televisions. So I'm quite and, envious of you because I was just, I was just well, partly I was in a pub and then I was but, dashed on to a home. But, it, but, it's, but, but we were working. We were, still, we were still working, so we, could, we, we couldn't get away. But then, but then I've never seen so many people Google super over at the same time. Uh, because mm. what it, And then, uh, you know, people were running up and down the corridor in the third floor of the Wimbledon uh, Media Centre. Um, in, in, in all of my international colleagues I had to try and explain to an international colleague actually after we went up to the bar for a drink <laughs> we've drawn and it's what different. exactly what and she was just like kind of so what is cricket and I was just like I need way more Stella to explain that but really I think we're looking at a two horse race in my opinion realistically yes I can't, I, I can't see, see outside so who that. would be the third Let, let's, let's, let's try and figure out the third place Lewis right so Lewis is the third yeah, yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I don't think people would necessarily know KJT other than the fact that she's a Brit. Nobody would, not enough people would know her story. I think. I, uh, I think uh, I touched on the Olympics briefly uh, a few minutes ago. I think that's a big factor here. Like for me, if if it was, I don't want. If it was an Olympic year, it'd be different. I don't want Dina Asher Smith to win this year. I want her to win 
next year when she's beaten Elaine Thompson and uh, Shelley Ann Fraser Price, yeah. etc. As she yeah. could do, yeah, and yeah, hopefully yeah. will do yeah. in Tokyo. I have no problem with. I, I love her. She's you know she's so, a, she's a Bromley girl. She's a she's so you know, for you it's Stokes Dina. KJC. No, I no, didn't Lewis. say that. I didn't say that. I have a sneaky feeling Dina's going to win. See, I think I think I think one or two is going to be Stokes or Dina. It's definitely uh, with, without a shadow of a doubt. We, we both agreed on, on the one that. two. Yeah. And then I I think Lewis will beat out everybody else for the third. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's and it's one of those things that you know one you know it's Chris, you know Christmas is coming when Spotty's on. Um, but it I mean we we did a little bit of a, uh, a dig back through the archives. Yeah. Um, into you know, and it it's it surprised me when they were like drip, drip feeding the names coming in. How many people of color there actually were this year? I think Sterling's out of the running altogether after. I'm just surprised. After Han- by, yeah, I'm surprised why by the is Sterling in the? I was really surprised. I, he's why? done really well for England. Like he's 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 he's. But then hasn't he ruined it by having this like handbags at dawn? Uh, think so like but i'm very surprised with his just his nomination like. yeah I, I i didn't get his nomination but anyway we will um we're hoping to bring this to you um a lot more in the new year let us know what you think if you if you like it what would you like us to do um you know what do you want us to talk about uh but until then you have of course been listening to ross satar and neil everett and uh we will hopefully see you next year thank you for listening <laughs>